The COVID-19 infection and hospitalization rates are at all-time highs in the capital region. Restaurants are closing under quarantine. School districts are reverting to all remote learning. The holidays are fast approaching amid warnings from officials to stay home. It's a fraught time. On this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over this week's top headlines. The overall seven-day average is scary. We'll get an update on the outcomes of several key state legislative races. There are two seats away from having that supermajority. And we'll hear about the curious case of Happy the Elephant. Precedent was set right here in Albany by the appellate division saying an animal is not a human being. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Let's start with a look at what appeared this week in the Times Union and on timesunion.com. We are here once again with Times Union editor Casey Seiler. We're going to talk about the top headlines this week, the week before Thanksgiving week. Uh, And right now we are in a bit of a situation with COVID-19. We're hitting some record highs day after day. Can you kind of set the scene for us? Tell us what the landscape is right now. Yeah, the landscape is rocky and full of, of pitfalls. Unfortunately, the region has now bested or worsted, if you want, the number of new COVID-19 cases. The previous one-day record was uh, 170 racked up on April 30th. And uh, on November 16th, you know, just this week, uh, it hit 270. So that is alarming. Now, those numbers are going to go up and down. But if you look at the chart that is right on the homepage at timesunion.com, The overall seven-day average is scary. And while, thank God, we are not seeing the kind of fatality rates that we saw back in the spring, we all know that fatality, alas, is a lagging indicator when COVID-19 cases go up. This is, of course, not something that the capital region is alone in, of course. Um, These cases are exploding, and in many cases, in much worse numbers all around the nation right now, but this is the worst it has ever been in the capital region. The warnings of a cold weather surge uh, are being borne out. Yes, and we are covering this practically minute by minute. So visit timesunion.com for the latest. We recently learned after ballot counts were completed that Saratoga and Rensselaer counties actually went for President-elect Biden this year, which is a flip from 2016. Can you talk a little bit about how that shook out? Yeah, that's right. Rensselaer County and Saratoga County in the sort of uh, immediate four-county capital region are seen as being kind of the biggest bastions of Republican votes. As you noted, both of those counties went for the president in 2016, the current president that is in 2016. Rensselaer County did it far more narrowly. Um, uh, Hillary Clinton just lagged by a, you know, a relative handful of votes in Rensselaer County, but Biden won it really authoritatively. Now, 
Republicans in both of those counties say, well, you know, presidential election results are going to be up and down. And they point to the strong performance of Republican candidates in down ballot races. But still in upstate, it's an indication that the more population you get in a region, the more likely it is that it went for Biden. The president's campaign likes to point to you know, the deep red that you'll see when you look at an election map of the upstate counties that went for the president. But what they fail to point out is those are the counties that don't have very high population. And we'll talk about some of those down ballot races that you mentioned statewide a little bit later in this podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, moving on, a story this week from our reporter Paul Nelson, a Schenectady jail guard accused of beating an inmate, uh, was arrested this week. Tell me what happened there. Yeah, Eugene Selly, who is a former Schenectady County jail guard in his late 20s, was uh, charged with second degree assault and official misconduct for his alleged uh, beating of uh, a detainee at the county jail as he was being processed out. The story, as Paul Nelson has reported it, is that the detainee got uh, mouthy, uh, was unhappy with the pace at which he was being discharged after being arrested on a domestic violence beef. Allegedly, what happened is Mr. Selly took him to uh, part of the jail that is set aside for detainees to uh, change into their street clothes when they are released. There are uh, therefore no cameras there and beat him badly enough to land him in the hospital. Well, more on that story to come and more on our coverage of recent issues uh, with local police and the community at timesunion.com. Completely changing the subject now, looking toward the holiday season, the pandemic has quashed a lot of our Christmas magic, according to a recent Siena poll. What do you make of that? Yeah, this is an annual poll that um, Sienna does, and I'm sure that their their pollsters are psyched to have something that is not electoral in, in nature to do after um, the recent flurry, to borrow a winter metaphor of those polls that they've had. And this one looks at kind of attitudes toward the season. Not surprisingly, this year, people are a bit, a bit bummed out. Uh, the percentage of people who said they were excited about the season dropped from 2019 score of 71 percent down to 59 percent. You know, can you argue against that? I don't think so. The number of people who who would get a Christmas tree in normal conditions who said they were planning to do it last year and for the last several years, it's been around 70 percent. That's only down a little bit to about 67 percent. But still, most disturbing, the number of people who say they believe in Santa down year over year, uh, 30 down to 26. So yet another institution that is taking blows in this year. So um, very disturbing. But it is, it is, of course, for any of our young listeners, Santa does exist, even if it is only in our hearts. Indeed. And he is coming to the malls, from what I hear. We'll have more on that next week. All right, Casey, thank you so much for joining me. We'll touch back with you next week. Jess, good to talk to you. Before Election Day, New York State Senate Democrats were hopeful they'd gain a first-ever supermajority after taking a commanding hold of the chamber in 2018. 
On Election Day, preliminary returns ensured a hold on that majority, but the potential for a supermajority was not looking so hot. That was before the absentee ballot counting began, though. I checked in with Capitol Bureau reporter Amanda Fries for the latest on the election returns and what they may mean for the power balance in the legislature. We're talking on a Thursday here, so we don't you know, keep in mind that the numbers can change, but just kind of give me a general picture of the landscape that we're dealing with here with this kind of post-election scene in the, in the legislature. So at this point, um, as I was speaking, the Senate Dems have 40 seats secured. So there are two seats away from having that supermajority that, you know, was kind of in question when polls closed uh, a week ago. However, now we're, we're in the uh, home stretch and absentee ballots are continuing to be counted. And we're, we're seeing that shift um, simply because the expectation is uh, absentee ballots are going to swing in favor of Democrats. They um, waged a strong absentee ballot campaign. And this is coming from, you know, several elected officials who mentioned that that was something that they encourage voters to utilize should they want to and fit that criteria. Now, today we're we're going through and uh, local boards are continuing to count absentee ballots and it's looking fairly likely that at least by the end of the day Friday, we will have a firm understanding of where the Senate is going to be at. And it's looking like they will achieve that supermajority of 42 seats. There's four Senate races that we're still kind of waiting to see where the results will go. It's uh, the 40th Senate District, uh, the 42nd, the 46th, and the 50th. The 50th Senate District is currently, we're on hold. That's in Onondaga County, where they had a staff member who tested positive for coronavirus. So they stopped counting the absentee ballots last Friday, and they are not scheduled to begin or return to counting the ballots until November 30th, um, which would be after the deadline to certify election results, but they've been given approval by the State Board of Elections that it can be a bit delayed because of that exposure. Um, However, there's nearly 30,000 absentee ballots that remain to be voted with so many of them coming from Democrats and the Working Families Party. It's likely that the Democrat will be successful in that race, as well as down in Westchester, they're currently counting votes for the 40th district, which Democrats also feel confident that they'll be successful in winning that seat as well. And then we also have the Hinchy race, which is most local for our capital region folks with the 46th Senate district. And Democrats also feel confident that um, Hinchy will be able to pull out and secure the seat for Democrats as well. Granted, we're, we're still in the home stretch. We are going to have to wait until those ballots are officially tallied, but it's looking like the Democrats are going to get that supermajority. Now, the question is, will they actually use that authority? Right. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But first, I want to ask you, you guys taped an episode of our sister podcast, Capital Confidential, a couple episodes last week and the week before, closer to Election Day. And the scene was 
completely flipped. I mean, at that point, the Republicans, the the state GOP chair was, you know, pretty confident that there'd been a number of seats flipped and the supermajority wouldn't be likely. You know, from your perspective, covering this over the last couple of weeks, what has that been like? And and what did you expect to happen? I try not to um, rush to judgment when it comes to elections. I am probably one of the few who hates all of the polls because, you know, it, it's just a sample size, right? So I, I like to see where the results fall. However, it was anticipated that after polls closed, we were going to see Republicans leading in a lot of races. Democrats had warned about this. However, Republicans came out and they they were you know confident of how many seats they were going to be able to secure. However, they have been quiet ever since the absentee ballots have been coming back, not in their favor. And there are several injunctions out there, which essentially are holding some of those absentee ballots for a judge to determine whether they are valid and should be counted, which could potentially change some of those totals if a judge were to determine that some of the some of the ballots should be tossed or or invalid for some reason. However, it'll be interesting to see that particular process, considering there have been some changes made in order for voters to cure or fix their ballots if there are any issues. So that that plays a little bit of a role. However, I think it's it's overall a jump to a conclusion that was made early on. And now we're kind of seeing how these absentee ballots really are shifting some of the elections. And it's simply because there were just so many of them. I believe about 1.5 million from across New York State. So that's that's quite a few paper ballots that election officials need to go through, confirm that the voter did not vote in person, which would then render their absentee ballot invalid, as well as just making sure that, yes, their signature matches the one that's on file and that they've filled out the ballot correctly. And if they haven't, then being given the opportunity to fix those deficiencies. Now, you talked about that a little bit on our sister podcast, again, Capital Confidential, about how, you know, the outcome of this election and how so many more people voted via absentee ballot, mail-in ballot than New York has really ever seen before, right? I mean, is this going to kind of change the way elections in New York are held and the way people are voting? I think that this is kind of the precursor to what has been talked about for some time as the state passed some election reforms, um, specifically when it comes to no excuse absentee voting. That is something that's kind of been on the course for New York. And and now with this, uh, with the pandemic, being able to give that opportunity to voters, election officials and elected officials are seeing how that has been beneficial for so many New Yorkers. Um, So I do anticipate there being more opportunity and more people casting their vote by absentee when they are given the ability to do so. Um, And this also is going to open the door to other conversations on some additional improvements that can be made to the election process in New York, including, um, you know, expanding opportunities for early voting, whether it be whether it's the hours and or the locations of early voting sites, as well as just opening up additional opportunities for people to be able to exercise their right to vote. 
All right, now looking forward, let's say just in theory that the Democrats get their supermajority. What are they going to do with it? Democrats are winning based off of redistricting lines that were drawn by Republicans. That's a little bit into the weeds that uh, reporters like to describe when it comes to some of the minutia of government and specifically when it comes to uh, drawing electoral districts, it has often been used to gerrymander and draw districts that are favorable to whoever is in power. So the fact that you are seeing Democrats win in traditionally Republican seats is signifying a shift in the electorate. What that will actually mean in regard to exercising the supermajority has yet to be seen. Presumably, Democrats are going to be on the same page as the governor, who is a Democrat, although obviously we have seen disagreements from the legislative and executive branches. It'll be a matter of whether the legislative leaders are willing to invoke that supermajority power to override a veto by Cuomo. So if they're not on the same page on certain topics, it is possible for the legislature now to push more progressive agendas that the governor may be unwilling or more reticent to approach. However, I want to wait and see and reserve any type of judgment until we actually see if the legislature is going to use that power. Well, it's certainly not a dull year for covering the state capitol, is it? (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) And I imagine uh, next session is just going to be even more interesting because we're still in this pandemic. Speaking with legislators, it sounds like the beginning of session is going to be done remotely. So it's definitely going to be an interesting one. We we kind of ended last session in uh, work from home, and now we're beginning the next uh, legislative session in a work from home uh, style. Wow. Well, thank you for that update. I really appreciate it. And of course, check in with our Capital Confidential Sister podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much, Amanda. No problem. Thank you. After the break, is an elephant a person? That question comes before a New York court this week. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. Does an elephant have personhood? That's a question a New York appeals court is considering this week. Happy the 49-year-old elephant lives alone at the Bronx Zoo. The Florida-based group, the Non-Human Rights Project, is arguing that happy is in fact unhappy and unlawfully imprisoned. Reporter Rob Gavin has been covering the case of Happy the Elephant. I asked him to tell me more about it. The story of Happy the Elephant starts with Tommy the chimpanzee, right? Correct. What happened to Tommy? This whole story begins with the Non-Human Rights Project, which is founded by an attorney named Stephen Wise. And Stephen Wise is pushing this argument that animals can be summoned by writ of habeas corpus. And what that is, is essentially a judge's order to say, 
that we can produce a prisoner. I demand that you produce someone. And this is obviously something that, you know, is in court, you deal with, for the most part, with humans. And so when you say you want to produce a prisoner, the judge signs it and the prisoner is produced. Someone who is being unlawfully detained. Tommy was a chimpanzee who was in the Montgomery County area. And he had been in a situation where a couple out there had him. And according to the Non-Human Rights Project, they felt that he was in captivity in a situation that was like an enclosed warehouse type setting in a small cage and not a situation that any chimpanzee would actually choose to be in. So the Non-Human Rights Project was equating this to an unlawful imprisonment. And then there was other chimpanzees. There was one named Kiko out in Niagara County. And there was two other chimpanzees in New York State where they made arguments. Now, starting with Tommy, there was a judge in Montgomery County, which is the first of many similar decisions where you have this situation where a judge says, wow, you really made a good argument. It's touching. I, I really feel for you, but I can't do it. That is a recurring theme in all these cases. Wise, who is the, the head of the Non-Human Rights Project, he's argued, look, I'm not saying human. He's making a distinction between a human and a, a person. And he's noted many times, and I think he's made it very clear that courts have recognized ships, holy books, corporations, and in one case, even a river has been bestowed personhood legally. So that he's saying, you know, why can't Tommy... And I don't mean to say that the, that the judge was not sympathetic because that, that judge was sympathetic, but ultimately said, I cannot allow an animal to be ruled judge as a person. So that case goes to the appellate division when they appeal in Albany. And at the time, the appellate division in Albany unanimously rejected the argument and specifically rejected the argument that Tommy could be a person. So where does Happy come in? Okay, so Happy's story is, is, is a sad story. She was born in the wild in 1971, and she, they believe, was probably Thailand with six other calves, uh, which is a word they'll use for a baby elephant. She was imported to the United States, and this is according to the Non-Human Rights Project, sold for $800 to a company in California, uh, which named them after the uh, dwarves in Snow White and the Seven uh, Dwarves. So you have Happy, Grumpy, Sneezy, Doc, Dopey, and Bashful. Well, Happy and Grumpy end up going to the Bronx Zoo, and she was there as part of the Wild Asia exhibit, if you remember in the Bronx Zoo, which was very popular for a while. Grumpy, unfortunately, what happens is at some point, the zoo decides to bring in two other elephants named Patty and Maxine. And at some point, there's sort of a, an altercation and ultimately that leads to the euthanization of a grumpy. And the fight was not between happy and grumpy, but between uh, grumpy and the new elephants that came in there. And at this point they bring in a new elephant named Sammy. However, she dies of a kidney failure. And then that's really sad, which leads the zoo to end its captive elephant program they say if two die, it would be inhumane to sustain an exhibit with a single elephant, right? But there is a single elephant there, and it's happy. And the Non-Human Rights Project decides to make a case that this is, this, this is just not right. And the initial 
writ of habeas corpus is actually to a judge in Orleans County. And what happens is, much like the arguments that the Non-Human Rights Project made on behalf of Tommy the Chimp, they decide to say, look, we want a judge to issue a common writ of habeas corpus on behalf of Happy uh, so she can have legal personhood and the fundamental right to liberty and you know, uh, justice, just as humans get. This argument is rejected, is sent to the Bronx, and in the Bronx, there's a judge who, again, like we've said, is, is very touched by the argument, makes it clear that she would like to see Happy no longer in that situation. And there's much like there was with Tommy, whereas in the case of Tommy, they wanted Tommy to be taken out and brought to this area called Save the Chimps in South Florida. Well, here there's two sanctuaries, one in Tennessee and one in California. And the judge in the Bronx says, well, that would be something that would basically be great if that could happen but she's not going to allow it through a habeas corpus because once again, the precedent was set right here in Albany by the appellate division saying an animal is not a human being. That leads us to today. So we're back once again at an appellate division, which like the one in Albany can set a precedent. And the Bronx Zoo's argument, which is very simple that look, legally they're not persons. You can't have a habeas corpus for an elephant. They're arguing also that they're not mistreating the elephant, right? Correct. But, you know, the, the non-human rights people are basically saying that that's irrelevant. The fact that the animal's welfare, while obviously important, is not the issue. The issue is that this animal is being unlawfully imprisoned, hypothetically speaking. And this is just me shooting off the hip, so to speak. You could make that argument about a lot of animals in general if you're not bringing welfare into it. And I wonder if a judge will make that case. I think many people may hear this and their first inclination might be, oh, well, that's crazy. You're not people. But that's, I mean, the argument Stephen Weiss is making is, is not, it's not, I mean, he's getting high level judges to stop and think about this. And look, there's some high profile people who have supported this, including, as I mentioned in the story, Queen guitarist, Brian May, the city council speaker, Corey Johnson, the New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Ortez, among other people, you know, they've mentioned in, on their website, has the Non-Human Rights Project, that in May of this year, in Pakistan, the High Court of Pakistan found, without any hesitation, the rights of non-human animals were affirmed, and they ordered the release of an elephant to sanctuary named Kavan, who was being held in a zoo. So there is precedent for this in Pakistan, it is something that has happened in other countries. In Colombia's highest court, they decided whether a bear named Chucho was permitted to have a habeas corpus. And Israel and India have also have had incidents. So it's not just like there's just one, this one, you know, crazy case. There is the efforts in other countries. And obviously, this is the latest right here in, in uh, New York State. But, you know, clearly, if an animal is being abused in a certain situation, there's legal recourse, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is, is interesting that you mentioned that because there's such a focus on the legal argument of personhood that you sit there and you go, well, what about the fact that if this elephant is by herself, can we remove her? Is there a way to do this without getting into this argument of personhood? Obviously, the Non-Human Rights Project is, is dedicated to pursuing that legal argument what it does, if nothing else, is it puts pressure and it puts a lot of publicity out there on the Bronx Zoo. It's not good press 
for the Bronx Zoo. It's not good press for anyone. We've seen that here in the Capital Region. We look how upset people have gotten over horse racing when you hear about deaths at the Saratoga Racetrack. That doesn't sit well with some people. It doesn't sit well with a lot of people who like to go to zoos. So it, it is interesting to think in this year where there's been so many unexpected things that have happened, could this be the year? It would be interesting to think that an elephant, you know, I guess if you were the chimpanzees, you'd be like, what gives, you know? <laughs> what is that That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the Times Union newsroom. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, or head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features.